Well, could we turn please to the good word of God and we're turning to uh, the letter to the Hebrews, please. The letter to the Hebrews and we're in chapter 13. Uh, Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversary as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honourable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There are around about 30,000 promises in the Bible, and they are scattered in rich profusion in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's one thing we must always keep in mind when we are thinking about God's promises. There are promises that are made to the nation of Israel. And they are promises that we cannot claim because they were made exclusively to the nation of Israel. And then there are promises that are made to the Gentile nations. And of course we cannot claim them because they were made to the Gentile nations. There are promises that are made to the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And of course the nation of Israel and the Gentiles cannot lay claim to them because they were made to the church of Jesus Christ. So we must always distinguish the promises, who they're made to, and if we can apply them to ourselves. And this evening, as I announced last week, we are going to speak on one of the greatest promises that God has given to us who are his people. Not to the nation of Israel, not to the Gentile nations, but to us who are his people. And if you are a Christian this evening, saved by the wonderful grace of God, this promise we're going to speak about tonight is for you and is for me and Sandy you and your dear brother you got it right now I didn't tell him unless the Lord told him and the Lord hasn't told me that he told him (laughs) yes uh, it's this wonderful promise that we have here in Hebrews chapter 
13. Now, I'm not too sure if you're conversant with the epistles of the New Testament, but if you are, you will know that they follow a very simple pattern. You will find that the first part of the letters or the epistles are given over to doctrine and to teaching. And that's the doctrinal part of the epistles. And then you find, as you come towards the end of the letters, that the writers would then seek to apply the doctrine he has been expounding. Because at the end of the day, doctrine has to be lived out. It's never God's intention or will that our minds should just be filled with doctrine, but that doctrine has to be related to practical everyday living. And so the end of the epistles, the, the writers would seek to expound the practical outworking of the Christian life. And here we find in Hebrews, 12 chapters have come and gone, and the writer has been expounding in a wonderful way the, the superiority of our Lord Jesus. Over the patriarchs, over the prophets, over the Levites, over the Aaronic priesthood. And he comes to chapter 13. And before he finishes the letter, he draws attention to some of the practical things. And we have read them this evening. Exhortation to brotherly love. He says, let it continue. And then, of course, to hospitality. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. To sympathy, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversary as being yourselves also in the body. Also an exhortation, the purity, marriage is honourable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And then he comes to the exhortation to contentment. He says, let your conversation, now I have to stop there, I'm reading from the authorised version, the King James Version, which dates back to the 17th century, 1611, and in that day, conversation did not mean what it means today. When we speak of conversation, we speak of people talking to each other. But in, in the 17th century, conversation meant a manner of life, behavior. So it could be read, let your manner of life or your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he have said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And that's the reason why we can be content. And let me ask you a question, dear brother and sister. Are you a contented person? Now, only you can answer the question. Only I can answer it. Are you content? You should be. 
Why should we be content? Well, here's the reason. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And to me, dear friends, this is one of the greatest promises that God has ever given to his dear people. And if I get this message over the way I would like to get it over, we shall be leaving this meeting with a spring in our step. And brother, sound a bit of difficulty in subduing your excitement and joy at the end of the service as we seek to look at this wonderful and divine promise. And I'm sure Sandy wouldn't mind if they get a bit excited. Because this is something wonderful. Last week we were in, into deep theology. Well, for we better change this evening. We're going to be more devotional. Still using our minds, of course, but more of a devotional nature. Because I want you to leave this meeting with this promise firmly in your heart, in your mind, and in your memory. Now, there are four things we can say about this wonderful promise. First of all, we're going to see that this is a divine promise. He have said. Then we're going to see that it is a definite promise. And then thirdly, we're going to see it's a personal promise. And then lastly, it is a practical promise. So divine promise, definite promise, personal promise, practical promise. And I like to look at the promise of God like this. You ladies, you go into a jeweler shop and you ask to see some diamond or some brooch some gold item and you take it in your hands if it is a diamond you discover that it has been cut and it is only as you turn the diamond over and see its different facets and its different sides that you realize how wonderful the diamond is and then when you're told how much it's going to cost you say thank you would you please put it back well, maybe you don't know that because maybe you ladies are very rich here in Moody'sburn. But that's the way we look at God's promises. We look at them and we see the different facets, the different sides, the different angles. We turn them over in our minds. And as we do so, we can see something of their beauty, their majesty and their glory. Here's the first thing. This is a divine promise. He have said. Who's speaking? The one who has made this promise is not an angel, is not a prophet, is not an apostle. But the one who made this promise to you and to me is none other than God himself he have said now on the 5th of May 
There'll be an election here in Scotland for the Assembly in Edinburgh. And no doubt you've got through the post leaflets from different parties giving forth their manifestos. And no doubt you have noticed on the literature that uh, they will promise you this, promise you that. uh, If you vote for them, get them in. Wonderful promises. But uh, we have to confess that uh, when they do get elected in, many of the promises are not fulfilled. Now, that's not the sort of promises we're talking about here, friends. Not the promises of politicians and manifestos. But this is a divine promise that comes from God himself. So that's the one who has made the promise. And that's very important. There are some people, speaking personally, if they promise me certain things, I wouldn't just take with a pinch of salt. I would take with a packet of salt. Why? I don't trust them. Their word's not their bond. They promise you anything. And they've got no intention of carrying out their promise. And how sad that is. But behind every promise God makes is his veracity, is his integrity, is his character. And he has more to lose by not keeping his promise than you would if it's not fulfilled in your life. So grasp this. This is a divine promise made by God himself. Secondly, we find that this is a definite promise. Now here I have to be a wee bit technical. Not to try and show that I'm very smart or clever. No, no, friends. But to bring out something of uh, this wonderful promise. Uh, What you have in front of you is um, a translation. An English translation But you must always remember that when you come to the word of God, the original scriptures were not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And we are greatly indebted to men of ability that were able to translate the Hebrew into English and the Greek into English. Because if you can't read Hebrew or Greek, well then you couldn't read the scriptures. And we are greatly indebted to men who were translators. And what we have in front of us is a translation from Hebrew into English, from Greek into English. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever done any language study. Perhaps you have. If that's the case, you'll of course know that when you do language study and you're translating from one language into another, sometimes you lose something of the original beauty of the language you're translating. That happens, but that's the way in translation. 
And why we're greatly indebted to men of ability who have translated the Greek into English. Sometimes the English translation does not do justice to the original. And that means to say, we've got to go beyond the English translation and we've got to go back to the original Greek. Now, there were two types of Greek. You've got what was known as the classical Greek of the philosophers like Aristotle and Plato. That was the, the intellectual Greek. But then you had what was known as the common, the, the common Greek. The Greek of the fishermen, of the merchants. And God in his wisdom has selected not the Greek of the philosophers, but he has chosen in his wisdom to give to us the New Testament in the Greek of the everyday folks. Now then, here in Hebrews 13, our English translation is, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And of course, that's wonderful. But it does not do justice to the original. Follow me here. In the original, there were what's known as intensified negatives. Now you probably sense suddenly, what are you talking about? What are these intensified negatives? Well, if this doesn't sound too Irish when I say this, these intensified negatives show to us how positive the promise is. And God in his wisdom has given at least five intensified negatives in the promise, which is not brought out, unfortunately, in the English translation. Now, in my study at home, I have about 30 different translations and paraphrases of the Bible. And sometimes when I'm in study, looking at a particular portion of Scripture, I would take all these 20 or these 30 versions and paraphrases and I would look them up to see how they translate what I'm talking about or going to speak on. And there's one translation that really brings out the beauty and the power and the splendor and the intensified negatives. And that is the Amplified New Testament. Do you have a copy? Anybody? Have a copy of the Amplified New Testament? Well, Hold on to that if you have, because that is wonderful, a wonderful translation. And that brings out the beauty of the original language. Now then, hold on to your seats. Are you ready for this? I'm going to read to you how the Amplified New Testament renders Hebrews 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Here it comes. For he himself has said, 
I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you, assuredly not. I have to say, hallelujah. It's not tremendous. Now, I'm going to read it again. You probably didn't grasp it. This is, this is powerful. This is good stuff. Now you'll leave the meeting tonight with a spring on your step. This is what God said. Here's what it says. For he himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That's what it means in the original Greek. So you see, dear friends, how definite it is. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no perhapses. It's clear, it's definite. And that's the promise God has given to you and given to me. Not only a divine promise, but thank God, a definite promise. As sure. What could be more clever what God has said here? But then notice it's a, a personal promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now here's what I do sometimes when I'm reading the Word of God. You see, the danger is that we generalize. Take, for example, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, wait a minute. For God so loved the world. But there's a population of about 7 billion people. That's a lot of people. But if you can say, for God so loved, and you put your name in, I'll put my name in, for God so loved Stanley Shaw, that he gave his only begotten son. What am I doing? I'm not speaking in general terms. I'm applying it to myself. He loved me, and he loves you. Put your name in. And you know, I'm following in apostolic footsteps. Because here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So dear Christian, this is God's promise to you. Don't think, and don't misunderstand me here, don't think of the one sitting beside you or in front of you or behind you. Personalize this as if you're the only person in this meeting and I'm speaking to you directly. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You must appropriate the promises. You must apply them to yourself. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, dear friends, Christians do the, 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 the most wonderful things about the promises. 
sometimes you find that they get them nicely framed. They sort of frame and then they hang them up maybe in the bedroom or some other place in, in the house and they say, now isn't that wonderful? That's a lovely, lovely promise and a lovely frame. Now there's a true story of a dear woman who lived in poverty for many, many years. And somebody went along from the social services to have a look at the case. And he was looking around and he saw this on the wall. He was interested and he went over and he looked. And he said, do you realize what that is? Oh no, she says. My uncle sent that to me and I thought it had a lovely bit of paper. So why I got it framed. And there it is. That isn't it lovely? The man said, do you not realize what that is? Oh no, she says. He says, that's a check for $5,000. What, she said? I've been living in poverty for all these years and I've had got $5,000. You see, friends, it was in the frame. No use there. Now, let's say, for example, my dear brother Sandy, after the service, he says suddenly, come here a minute, I know that you're a poor preacher. Well, you know I'm a poor preacher. You've heard me many times. And uh, Sandy says, suddenly, I want to help you out. And he gives me a check. And my heart's thumping. Oh, this is wonderful. Sandy's got plenty of money. Do you know he's a millionaire? Margaret doesn't know, but he's a millionaire. And uh, she gives, he gives me this check for a hundred pounds, say. Now, what would you think of me if I were to get that in a nice frame? Oh, no, friends. Monday morning, 9.30, down to the Royal Bank of Scotland, and I shall be putting Sandy's check over the counter, just in case it bounces, and get, and get it in, you see. You see, what am I doing? I'm cashing in on the promise of the £100. My dear friends, don't all rush after the service with Sandy. I'm first Sandy in line. You see, dear friends, you must appropriate the promise. Yes, it's divine, it's definite, but it is a personal promise. It belongs to you and to me as his dear people. But then, fourthly, it's a practical promise. Because the very next verse says this. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man should do unto me. Now, do you see the connection? Because God has said something, then I can say something. Not just think it, but I can say something. God says, I will never leave thee, so that I can boldly say, and you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do unto me. And oh friends, this is a very practical promise. 
it applies to youth, it applies to, to middle age, it applies to old age. It applies to the good days and to the bad days. It applies when you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley. It applies when in times of sickness or in times of health. It applies in times of sadness and bereavement. It covers every eventuality of life. And nothing's left out. Now let me just touch upon something very important here, dear friends. Because sometimes I've had to counsel Christians. I've had to take them into the church vestry and we've sat down together. And the woman or the man said, Pastor, he's left me. He's left me. And I said, my dear, who are you talking about? Oh, the Lord. He's left me. And I have, I've got to try to be very gracious this way. And I say to that dear lady, that dear woman, now tell me, dear, are you calling him a liar? And he said, oh, oh no, oh no. Well, I said, you've said he's left you. Whereas he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what has happened is this. Listen very carefully. There are times in your Christian life in which you will not feel and sense his presence. And that happens. And that may be very disturbing. And you immediately press the panic button, oh he's left me. Because you don't feel and sense his presence. Ah Christian, you don't live on your feelings. You don't live in your moods. You don't live in your frames of mind. We have something far better than feelings. We have got the word of God. It's there in black and white. I will never leave thee, nor forsake. You see, the old Puritans, they used to speak of the dark night of the soul. And I have experienced it, dear brother and sister. And if you haven't, who knows very shortly you will experience what the Puritans say the dark night of the soul in which you go through an experience in which you feel all forsaken all alone you're getting that much help from the church or from other Christians you feel it's a dark night in the soul but get a hold of this he's there in the darkness He's there. And he'll never, never, never leave you. You may, you may not sense his presence. You may not feel his presence. But he's there. And you know, it's a promise not just for life. But it's a promise that's going to take us right into eternity itself. Over the years, they've tried to sell me different insurance policies. And sometimes I would uh, joke with them. And I said, that's very interesting. Uh, have you got any insurance policies that uh, goes beyond death? The insurance policies covers you up to death. 
And then would you die somebody else gets the benefit of it? Have you any policies about after death? Oh no, you say, we don't, we don't have any loose promises. Or any loose policies. And then I said, I, I've got one. Oh, have you? Uh, what's the name of the company? Oh, it's a, very, it's a very good company. It is Jehovah and Son Unlimited. Never heard of it. Jehovah and Son Unlimited. They've heard of John Brown Limited, but here's Jehovah and Son Unlimited. And what a golden opportunity to introduce them. This policy covers me not just for the eventualities of life, but thank God when death comes. He will take me right into his presence and present me faultless before the eternal throne of God. What an insurance policy. And you know, and this is who you Scottish folks, won't cost you a penny. <laughs> it won't cost you a penny. That's the best news. You see, the price has already been paid for the Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross. Isn't that what David said? Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a hope. What a prospect that is. The house of many mansions that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 14. Now have you got all this? A divine promise. He have said. It's a definite promise. Don't forget the amplified New Testament version. Brings out the intensified negatives. It's a personal promise. To you brother. To you sister. And to me this evening. Get a hold of it. Monday morning. Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Friday. Saturday. Sunday. Every day. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. And then it is a practical promise. It works in all the eventualities of life. Excuse me, Stanley, could you read that again? The amplified yes, indeed, hi, brother, yes. Uh, could I just give one thought before? Yes. There was a number of young men that were discussing the different translations of the Bible uh, one mentioned Moffat one mentioned Weymouth uh, one mentioned Dr. Phillips and all the different translations but one kept silence and they said come on we have given you our favourite Bible translations uh, what's yours and the young man said what I I love my mother's translation what? Your mother? Is, is she a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar? Oh no, she's, he says. Well, what's your mother's translation? Well, he says, I like my mother's translation because she translates it into everyday living. Isn't that lovely? Everyday living. So, dear brother and sister, don't leave this place tonight. Uh, just have your head full of this great doctrine. Monday's coming, Tuesday's coming, Wednesday's coming, and we don't know what lies ahead of us. But there's one thing we do. We can say with the old hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy 
for the bread of heaven feed me now and evermore. Now, dear brother, you want me to read this again? Right, I'll gladly do that. But just a wee announcement for next Wednesday, next um, Sunday, the Lord willing. We're going into eschatology next Sunday. <gasps> What's that you say? Eschatology? That's dealing with the end times. Bible prophecy. And we're going to center on a very important subject for those of us who are Christians. And we're going to have a look at the Bible seat or the judgment seat of Christ for believers. You and I will have to stand at that judgment seat. And our Lord Jesus is going to examine you and test you. What does the Bible teach about the Bema seat, the judgment seat? It's part of eschatology, and the Lord willing, we'll get into that next Sunday evening in God's will. Okay, dear brother, here it comes. You. you all ready? You. Hold on to your seats. Here's what it says. For he himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. And all God's people said. Amen. And some shared it. Hallelujah. Thank you.